Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Tricky Kid Radio. I am your host, as always, Roy Turner. Comics is what we're going to be talking uh, this week. i got a couple of great guests to, to nerd out with me, uh, comic style. Uh, first up is my old buddy, Rez. Uh, you know him as Mark Resnick. Uh, he's a drummer for the, for the Toadies. Uh, Texas Treasure, the Toadies. Uh, great, great friend of mine, longtime friends. Um, and we've been wanting to kind of do something for a long time. And I'm so happy to finally get uh, that dude on the show and talk about our mutual favorite thing, which is comic books. And along with, oh man, uh, the dude who's got us both beat in spades, uh, Aaron Myers is here. He is has his own amazing podcast uh, called Comics Therapy. And it's a great thing. And Rez is actually is the one who actually kind of turned me on to Aaron. I was, uh, I thought I was following the dude because uh, Rez was uh, tweeting and liking so much of his stuff. I was like, hey, where, who is this guy? And then uh, a couple of things kind of were coming up left and right. And I was like, man, I need to get that guy on the show. And I was like, ah. Oh. Well, we can't do without Rez, so very excited both those dudes are here. Uh, we have a great time. We're going to play some great music. Um, we had a freaking ball, man. I was looking so forward to it. I was just like, it was like all week long, I'm going to get to finally nerd out, and, and, and nerd out we do. So um, hope you guys are going to enjoy, you guys are really going to enjoy this. It's great, great fun. Um, I'm hoping you're also digging the current episode. Uh, that is all things 1980. I say that because it's near and dear to my heart, and number two, because I work so freaking hard on it. Uh, I'm not kidding. I don't think I've ever put in more time and effort in in terms of editing and research and just TLC, man. Uh, mainly because it's just again, it's so important to me. 1980 was such a pivotal year in my life. Um, I met, made my first friend at age six. I tracked him down. Uh, well, we, we kind of found each other on Facebook a couple years ago, but still, I uh, was like, well, I can't do the show without this dude. So you get to hear our first actual time hearing each other's voices for the first time since 1982 uh, when we had moved away. Uh, his name is Bo Williams. He's a great dude, and it was so great to talk with him. And, man, I'm telling you, like I said, it's such a great episode. And hello, Flash Gordon. Sam Jones is on the episode. The man, Barry Corbin, who was in every freaking movie from 1980. Uh, Urban Cowboy and, God, the show Dallas and and just so much so much more from that year. So it's a very, very uh, personal and a very important. Uh, it's a long one, too. So uh, I didn't want to break it up into multiple episodes, so I went ahead and went for it. It's about three hours long, but uh, if you're at summertime, you're going for a long drive. If you grew up in that time, man, we really get into it. The sports, the toys, the music, the TV shows, the movies, everything. So I'm real proud of it. I hope you'll check it out. Uh, I also wanted to uh, let you guys know we got a big, big show. Chris Fronts from uh, from the Talking Heads uh, will be here discussing his new book, Remain in Love. Uh, it's uh, from obviously you know the Remain the, the Remain in Light Talking Heads record also came out in 1980. Uh, so we're kind of keeping that vibe rocking. Um, and uh, I got an advanced copy of his book, Remain in Love. Uh, which is fantastic. It's wonderful. I'm so excited to talk with Chris. He's I'm a, I'm a massive, massive fan of the Talking Heads. Uh, so hope you guys will join us for that. Uh, so I just want to say uh, shout out to our sponsors. Thank you guys so much to Blackstone Labs uh, for keeping me rocking and rolling with this good whey protein while I'm doing my kickboxing. And then now my wife has got me doing the yoga. So I'm just trying to stay uh, in shape. I hope you guys are having a great summer. I know it's kind of a tough time right now. 
Uh, but uh, hang in there. Uh, you know, something I did want to mention, I think it's kind of funny, is that I try not to talk about the whole COVID thing at all in here. Um, and if there's any humor <laughs> to be had from this, I wanted to mention this. It's also kind of uh, Tony's reference here as well, is that people right now are getting very creative with the mask. You know, you got to wear a mask. Make sure you wear your mask. Don't be a dickhead. And some selfish dude who's like, oh, <laughs> I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't apply to me. Yes, it applies to you, asshole. Put a mask on. Okay. But if you have to put a mask on, hey, why not put something cool on? Put something uh, expressive, right? So uh, it's just another place. Uh, now you can advertise for people, for the big corporations to use your face to advertise. So if your favorite sports team is the Phillies like me, maybe you'll want a Phillies mask or, um, you know, uh, your favorite band or whatever you know and i've seen some really creative masks but i always like the ones that are kind of humorous um so you know my dudes in ween uh <laughs> they have <laughs> a mask that's a playoff the one a very frightening song of theirs called spinal meningitis has got me down uh and it's the ween the boognish uh kind of mascot and it says Please don't let me die. <laughs> Could you imagine walking into like a bank or just some large gathering or, or somewhere at the mall? And like, uh, there's some more very irreverent ones. There's one that I'm, I'm seriously have been have my finger on the trigger of uh, of ordering is uh, the Brian Jonestown massacre has one that just simply says "Eat shit," <laughs> and you can't really make out the T and the S, but it's. I mean, that's one where you'd really like. I mean, where where would you? I mean, I've wanted to do it, but where would I wear it? You know, uh, or just say fuck it, right, and just wear it everywhere. Um, but the Toadies actually have one pretty funny now too. Uh, their big hit, of course, was a song called Possum Kingdom. And the refrain at the end is, is the big buildup is the, the whole do you want to die thing. So that's a little more confrontational. Like, hey, like, wear this. I mean, if you don't, do you want to die? Like, I thought that was pretty funny and pretty pretty clever. And speaking of the talking heads, there's actually one I've been thinking about ordering as well. Uh, that's just kind of got the old, this kind of caricature of uh, David Byrne. Uh, doing the, the dance and the big white suit and all that. And it just simply says, same as it ever was. So uh, anyway, we'll, whatever, we'll see. I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of sticking with the uh, the surgical uh, thing. I look like a, like a cast member of the show Mask. But anyway, it's like, I swear to you, I, I put everything into that 1980 episode. And I, and I swear to you, since then, something comes up and I'm like, oh my God, did I mention that? Did I, did I, did I talk about that? Because I'm just such a completist that it would just kill me if, like, there was, like, some big thing. Like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Yeah. Like, you know, the Rolling Stones, Emotional Rescue. Did I talk about that? Did That, that came out in 1980, right? Like, so, uh, so it's just it's so funny. But I really hope you'll check it out. Again, thank you to our sponsors, Hop and Sting Brewing, Blackstone Labs, uh, anybody else that I'm uh, forgetting. Also, uh, check this out. JHT Music, come on now. Uh, that stands for Jocelyn Hun Turner, and that is my wife. And she has a new, very exciting endeavor uh, where she has decided to forge on, man, and start her own uh, business. Uh, she's been an independent contractor for far too long, and now she answers to fucking no one. Uh, so, anyway, I hope I'm not discouraging people's. Um, 
uh, sign-ups with my foul language here because I assure you that she's a, a great lady who, who doesn't curse nearly as much as I do, but she teaches violin, viola, piano, and music theory. And we'll have links to that. Uh, it, uh, you can do it anywhere, though, because she's doing all of it uh, right now, of course, because of the whole COVID thing. She's doing everything virtually. Uh, but she is an amazing teacher. And I'm not saying this just because she's my wife. Uh, she's the best, man. And there's a reason why people uh, were you know, sticking with her and, and, and this new exciting endeavor for her. So I'm very excited for her. Um, and if you are in the market for music instruction for violin, uh, piano, viola, and music theory, check out JHT Music. And again, we'll have links, um, and you'll be able to find all of this information if you're so inclined. Okay, so now, uh, let's see, what else is going down? Uh, I think that's it for now, okay? Um, I want to thank everybody so much. I know you guys have been uh, been writing in and asking a lot of questions. You guys had a lot of great questions uh, for the the comic uh, thing, man, we really get super nerdy here. I was so so excited for this. This was so much fun. I've never really had a comic friend, like a comic buddy, you know. And unfortunately, I know it sounds terrible, but like it feels like everything that I'm into, I always hate the people that are into it. Like I love professional wrestling. Typically, hate wrestling fans. I know I sound so snobbish. Love metal, uh, you know, and 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 sometimes metal fans can be challenging. Uh, those unfuckable virgins that you have to deal with, um, uh, you know, that are playing Warhammer as you're coming in to get your comics. You know, I, I'm not sure I would be uh, uh, buddies with with them. I mean, not because I'm a snob. I just, you know, I, I just don't know if we would we would get on well. I'd try though. I, I would give anybody a chance. Anyway, uh, all kidding aside, the point is is that I've never really had a comic buddy, so it was neat to totally. Um, uh, have a few friends and talking comics this week. So, anyway, but now let's get to some good music. Now, I'm going to spoil something for you a little bit. We tell this story during the interview. Uh, Rez drops a bit of a bomb, uh, some great news, some exclusive news, unless he's told somebody since then, um, that uh, the Toadies are actually going to uh, re release their very, very first single way back from 1990, uh, even before he was even in the band. And I uh, met them uh, that year again before Res was it was in the band. They were a couple of the of uh, girls and gals uh, uh, that was uh, wait did I say girls and gals? I meant uh, yeah gals and and dudes uh, that were working uh, together at uh, a record store called Sound Warehouse with my buddy Keith Radens. And I would go in there uh, and hang out with Keith and stuff, and it's where I met them all those years ago. And they had a little, you know, like all local bands at that time have like a little local cassette. And they had one called Dig a Hole on side A, which is two songs. And then side B was a song called I Hope You Die. <laughs> so the dying thing has been uh, there from the start there with the Toadies. Anyway, uh, so apparently they are going to release this thing. Uh, because this would now be the 30th anniversary, it being 1990 when it came out. And it's going to be have, also see like a vinyl release because it, it was only available on cassette. So I don't know if they're going to do um, uh, CDs or whatever. But I think it's just going to be just a vinyl thing. But anyway, uh, this is not the remaster. I'm sure they'll probably give it some good treatment. I decided for fun and for res and because this week is so special that I went some did some hunting and I found... 
my old cassette copy. I was asking Rezo. I thought it was the one with the legs walking down the street, but I realized, but he corrected me, and it's not that one. I I don't know what the hell you would you would call this cover, but you'll be able to see it on our website on trickykid.com, and make sure you're subscribed to us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and iTunes, and we're on uh, all of them there. Uh, and also check out trickykid.com. That's tricky-kid.com, and look for the big relaunch of trickykid.com next month. It's gonna be very very exciting for us. Uh, lots more news about the King's X project we're working on. We're also on. I'm on Twitter under Tricky Kid and the number two. I'm under Instagram under DJ Tricky Kid, and we're on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. So anyway, straight from the cassette, and I had had to find this little. Um, I've dubbed some or trends uh, digitally transformed, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Uh, so my old cassette. So actually, I had this little thing. I can pop the cassette in. Goes right to my computer. And uh, so here's the latest uh, thing that I've done with that. This is the Toadies from the original 1990 cassette, uh, Dig a Hole. And we'll be right back with Toadies drummer Mark Resnick and comics therapy Aaron Myers and uh, all things comics. We'll be right back.
Hey folks, this is Brian O'Halloran. You might know me from such iconic classic films as Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Vulgar. Anyway, you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio. Hi, this is Marilyn Gigliotti. Most people know me as Veronica from Clerks. It ain't 37. Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Hey everybody, this is actor-musician Scott Schiaffo, best known from the Kevin Smith films Clerks and Vulgar. You are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. Okay, so here we go. So anyway, so again, so Aaron, so again, Rez and I have known each other again since like the early 90s. We go way back and, and, and are all, all long-time friends. Uh, but do you guys know each other? I'm from Twitter. Uh, over Twitter, yeah. Yeah. But have you guys ever actually met or been in the same room or have ever nerded out together in person? No. Well, goddamn, it's about it's about darn time. We're gonna we're gonna have a lot of fun today. So, um, yeah. so for those that are that are listening, uh, again, of course, this is gonna be a thing for our YouTube channel, Tricky Kid TV. But the main thing is, you can if you guys can see right here, uh, this is gonna be for uh, our we have I do a program on iHeartRadio called uh, Tricky Kid Radio. So. Um, and then, so this isn't this isn't live per se, but there are going to be some people, some of our our subscribers that we've invited uh, to come and check it out to join us. And you won't be able to see them, but they'll have some some questions that we'll do. So we'll do like a little Q and A here at the end. Uh, uh, we had a couple different people that were going to maybe joining us, but we're going to be having to do them separately. One, of course, was Tina Horn, who does a great book for Image called FSSSX. Uh, and Amy Chu, who is one of one of my favorite writers. So, uh, so we're going to start with with, with Rez. Rez. So, for our listeners out there, let's start with you just for a second, just to establish you. Of course, obviously, you're the drummer for longtime Texas treasure, the Toadies. Uh, but you're, but you and I have also, we all have nerded out about comic books uh, since the beginning of time. So. Uh, we'll start with the Toadies thing first. Is there anything that's happening right now with the band that the listeners can can expect, or what's been happening? Well, uh, kind of in a holding pattern. <laughs> right, right. COVID stuff. Um, before all this went down uh, last year, we got together and uh, started working on a new album. We. Uh, we made some demos and uh, started working on songs, and then all this went down. Yeah. You know, Clark, uh, our guitar player, lives out in California. Donnie lives in Amarillo. Dave and I live in the Fort So it's not, at the moment, it's not that easy for us to get together. Yeah. I know I wouldn't want to fly on a plane right now <laughs> right 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 Clark does either so but we did um, a month or two ago we did a virtual song uh, cover of a Jeff Tweedy song that we put up on YouTube and stuff and uh, it's on Spotify so okay okay we just recorded our individual parts at home and then sliced them together kind of Oh, awesome! So I'll have to have to check that out. You know, we we had uh, we were talking with Charlie Benante from Anthrax, and if you guys have not seen his Instagram account, you you got to do it. It's he gets all of his friends together, and they're doing everything from Tom Petty to Massive Attack, and it's just wonderful stuff. So I'm I'm glad to see. You know, it kind of makes artists kind of kind of push their artistry in a sense, right? You know, it's uh. 
whenever they're home by you know by themselves like what can we do to kind of keep this rocking um and and try to kind of figure it out uh our friends in clutch are kind of uh, have been kind of doing the same thing by kind of doing some broadcasting so I'm, I'm glad to see you guys you know attempted to do something and hopefully you guys can do a little bit more uh Hopefully this whole thing actually ends sooner than later, so you won't have to. But you know, here's hoping. That's hoping exactly. Well, so what this is going to be is an is an escape from all of that. I mean, this is going to be a whole lot of fun. Everywhere you go, all people, you know, we're forced to talk about it. How can you be serious about something when you see a Debbie Gibson calendar <laughs> in in your in your peripheral? I mean, so. This is going to be an escape from all that bullshit we always have to talk about. You can say whatever the hell you want, as, as, as long as you want. And I'm grateful for both of your participation so much. I've been, Rez, you and I have been wanting to do this forever and, and do something with comics. And, uh, and, you know, and so now I'm going to bring in Comics Therapy's Aaron Myers. Aaron, Hello. welcome to Tricky Kid Radio. Welcome to Tricky Kid TV. Um... Now, Rez is actually responsible for how I came to to know of your wonderful Twitter stream. And the reason why Well, the reason why was I thought I was following you. Rez had liked and retweeted so much of your shit that I was like, Am am I following this guy? Who is this guy? Right? That's funny. And, uh, and then I realized I was like, actually, I'm not following him, and but I wish I was, and I, I started, you know, checking it out. So thank you, Rez, for bring, you know, for bringing Mr. Myers here. Um, so it's in the mail, Mark. Uh, right there, you go. So that's what I was thinking at the beginning. So you guys have never actually met. You guys have never been in the same room, and have never. It's just been a Twitter relationship at this point, right? Yeah, that's that's how a lot of I'd say uh, a lot of the comics community, besides getting together at conventions, that sort of thing. But sometimes, if people are primarily East Coast or West Coast, you don't always meet up in the middle. But Twitter yeah. at least brings everyone together in that way. Like there, there's a lot of value in the comics community, regardless of everything else that's going on in the world and every fandom. There's still there's still a ton of value. I mean, most of the, yeah. the people I care about the most, I, re- I met through Twitter over the last 10 years. Well, that's that's awesome, man. So, so Rez, when did you first come to know about Aaron? And uh, Aaron has a great podcast of his own uh, called Comics Therapy that I've now have been able to check out. Great work there. Rez, nice. what, what did you first come to, to, to learn of Mr. Myers and his massive collection? Um, I don't remember. I think it was... Three, four, five years ago, just uh, somebody else, I think, probably retweeted him or something, and uh, so I started following, and he's always posting uh, cool comics that he's just acquired and uh, talking about comics, and um, it was cool seeing, I mean, he has the coolest collection of comics of anybody I've ever seen. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that. It's funny because it's like comic collections are all relative because I think of some of the guys I know who aren't necessarily maybe as online or aren't online at all and it's like I feel like I'm a baby when it comes to collecting. Well, that's bullshit because it is absolutely (laughs) immediate. Like when I saw it was like, who the fuck is this guy? And why does he have all this shit? And like, where's he getting it from? And 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 your Twitter stream was so awesome because on one hand it's like you're sharing with the world, like look look what I got. 
And then it kind of teeters on the, uh, like, look what I got, motherfucker, and for a dollar, right? Well, sure. I, love I, mean, it. I try not to be, like, too, um, I'm not trying to, like, be braggy or... Oh, I know, or, I know. know. I'm know. just having some fun. But, I mean, in, in some ways, it's, uh, I think people underestimate what they can get books for, but, you know, there's the passion of collecting itself, right? You know, because... Sure, if you go to a store and you look up on their wall, they're not going to price key books at a dollar. If you're digging through yard sales and you're making relationships with dealers and you're buying up collections, then that's a different situation, right? So right. It's, a, it's the passion of collecting that also uh, is a big part of that. Well, I'm just giving you some shit about it, but I'll take. <laughs> but your Twitter stream is like porn for nerds like Rez and I because it's just like. But what I want to know is this, okay, and this this is probably the main thing, is that you tweeted all hours of the night. So what I want to know is where is this magical comic book store that in the sky that is apparently open twenty four fucking hours a day? Uh, I mean, do you want to peek behind the curtain as I use TweetDeck and I schedule all my tweets? So I thought, <laughs> to fire off in an hour. Yeah. I thought so, but still. Yeah. But where is this magical place that is selling you these unspeakable gems for a dollar? I mean, a lot of it is uh, collections. So you buy in bulk. So if I spend $2,000 and buy 2,000 comics, it costs me a buck a piece. And I'm usually buying it because there's a lot of good stuff in there that's worthwhile more than what I'm paying for the whole collection. Well, okay. Now, real fast, my, my production manager is saying that your volume is a little loud. Rez, is, okay. is Aaron's la- volume loud for you, or is it okay? Um, I can move it back a little bit. Yeah. A little bit uh, distorted at times. Yeah, well, it's... Because I'm looking at the monitor up here, and it's clipping a little bit, Aaron. Just So just if you can just turn okay. it a little bit there. Perfect. Thank you, brother. Yep. Seriously. Um, is that any better? So, now... Are, are are you familiar with with Rez and the Toadies? And I mean, were you ever? Oh, sure, of okay, course, okay. Yeah. So Rez, I wouldn't. We've talked about this before, but so way back in 1995, I think it was, there was this great Saturday morning cartoon thing, and they did a great soundtrack, and then you guys did the theme song to one of my favorite cartoons, uh, the Ghoulie Get Together. How much were you responsible for bringing the band to that? Um. Not really at all. Um, uh, the guy who put it together, Ralph Saul, approached us. Like I think he he just kind of went after every sort of alternative band there was at the time and asked us if we wanted to be a part of it. And um, I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, but there were a lot of compilations of all these alternative bands. Like there was one where... We weren't on it, but uh, where they did like the uh, Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, yeah, 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 right, right. And, and different movie soundtracks and, sure. and whatnot. So we were on a bunch of those. And um, yeah, he asked us if we wanted to be a part of it. And uh, we're all fans of cartoons and stuff. Right. And we would, uh, I remember uh, Lisa, our old bass player, had um, vi- video discs of a bunch of Looney Tunes um, and we would watch those on the bus and stuff. So, you know, we're at heart a bunch of nerds and (laughs) okay. uh, Yeah. We, and really we didn't even get to pick the song. Like he, 
we mentioned a couple that we wanted to do, I think, and uh, he said, oh, that's already taken by so-and-so. Right. And he said, how about if you guys do this one? And I think I was the only one that really remembered the cartoon, the, the Groovy Ghoulies, but uh, seemed like it worked for us, and we um, went in in a day and, and laid it down. And, do you it's one of our more popular, you know, like I see people talking about it all the time. Oh, really? Okay. People seem to like that soundtrack, and um, I don't know, not too many people know that there was a tie-in comic book that came out. Right, yeah. Um, and in one panel in the comics, there's there's a drawing of the Toadies, so... That was that was my first appearance in a Marvel comic, <laughs> but but not your last. And that was going to bring me to the next thing, which is wasn't there something like recently or last year or maybe a couple years now? Because I remember you yeah. flipping out about this. There was a series called X Men '92. Oh right, right. That um, they took essentially the lineup of the old uh, X Men cartoon or the comics in 1992 and it was a spinoff of uh, some Marvel event I can't remember now and um, we knew a guy up at Marvel uh, and he threw our name in the hat as uh, I guess because we're around in the 90s and we're still around today so uh, he said you know do you guys want to be in this comic book <laughs> why the hell wouldn't we <laughs> right right but what so but was he aware of this. your nerdiness was he like did he know about all that yeah yeah um we were in new york one time uh our manager set it up so that uh me and donnie our bass player could go up to uh marvel's offices and he was kind of um he was our tour guide and showed us around and oh, stuff good. And, uh, gave us a big sack full of comics and graphic novels and uh, we got to meet um, a lot of the, it's mostly editors up there, but um, it was really cool. Like, oh, I, I've seen your name in all the comics. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, I've taken that Marvel tour. You remember, I lived in New York for about eight years and I was fortunate enough to take that Marvel tour. And, uh, Aaron, have you ever taken the Marvel tour in New York? No, I'd love to. Well, when that town reopens, put <laughs> make that a priority. Uh, you talked about graphic novels uh, for a second. We're, we are doing a bit of a, of a, of a giveaway, which is going to lead into a, a roundtable discussion for both of you guys. I, uh, I'm going to start with Aaron here in a second, but here's for our listeners out there. Uh, we have two giveaways. Here's the first one. Is Speaking of which, Marvel Comics has been so kind to uh, donate and gift us uh, the Marvel First, uh, the 90s. As you can see that it's sealed for those that are listening on Tricky Kid Radio and everything else. We are going to give this away uh, to one of our subscribers. If you are also uh, not a subscriber, you can still enter the contest. Just subscribe right now. It'll go into a thing, and we'll give this thing away. Uh, but, Brez, the last time one of the best conversations you and I ever had was, as cool as this is, um, there was a question that was posed that was kind of like, hey, if you could rewrite or erase or kind of switch up uh, a, a period of time in comics, what would, you, what would you choose? And you said 
most of the 90s. <laughs> so I know where you're coming from, but I'd like to hear from Aaron first. Aaron, what was great and what wasn't so great about the 90s in mainstream comics? Um, ooh, that's a, uh, that is a complicated question, isn't it? So in, in mainstream comics, because we could definitely spend probably an hour talking about the indie you know, portion of sure. and what was good about, about comics. But, I mean, what was good about it was it introduced a lot of characters that are still super popular today that people are, are passionate about. I mean, look at Marvel and look at, look at Venom, Carnage, you know, all, all those characters that came out in the 90s, that Deadpool, you know, all, all of those. They might have had maybe uh, not very exciting starts, but they're still completely relevant, you know, today. So there's still a lot of value in intellectual property that was generated, but okay. it also was overdone and burned people out, which, you know, like myself, I was a teenager and I stopped reading comics in the mid-90s because yeah. of just the glut of bad stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and it was also the advent of collectible card games, too, that just drew away a lot of people, I think, too, away from comics. That's smart, because I guess I started playing Magic around that time as well, you know? Right, and exactly. Then, and then G.I. Joe ended in 95 when I turned 21, mm-hmm. and then I kind of had that, like, I'm a man now and I must put boyish things away <laughs> kind of bullshit, right? It wasn't until later I was like, man, I miss all that shit. What happened, you know? Right, right. Uh, probably 15 years later, right? Uh, right? Right when Larry Hama decided to come back to the game. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rez, what, what, what was something positive and memorable for you about, about mainstream comics in the 90s? Hmm. Um, well, I did like um, the Batman Nightfall event yeah. and uh, Death of Superman, especially when for, I think it was like almost a year when Superman was dead. Yeah. And, uh, all the Superman titles, Superman didn't even appear in them. And they were really interesting, fun comics. And um, I think that it got a lot of shit in the day as just a, an event, but I thought it was good. And I also liked um, uh, X-Men Age of Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember we were, that was in the midst of us being on tour for about two years straight and um, just dashing around wherever I could to try and pick up, you know, every chapter of that event. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, in some ways, they kind of represent everything that was wrong with comics <laughs> in the 90s, but they're also, they were of their time, and, and you know, it was it was really exciting at the time. Um, I think the way people think of the 90s is everything being extreme, yeah. And that is definitely true. Like, you know, pouches on everything and, and giant guns and swords and all that stuff. Right, right. And that's kind of, um, that was what I thought of as the negative aspect of the 90s. But um, I was already, like, in my 30s then. So I could see where if you're a teenager, that'd be exactly. exciting as shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, like... I don't know if it could jump in about that because I was right in the prime of my teenage years when that stuff was happening. You know, you're full of testosterone, guys jumping out with their guns blazing, 
crotches extended and muscles and roided out. Like, it looks ridiculous to look back on now, but if you're 14, 15, 13, you know, it's like, it's perfect. But I still try to tend to walk and talk in my everyday life now that I'm in my 40s as a character from the 90s. Like, I don't actually open doors. I just kick them with my foot. You know, this is where yep. people go, where did you get that from? It's like, man, I I was a comics fan in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You underwear with pouches on. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Well, so I'm going to put, uh, Aaron, you on the hot seat for a second. This is where you get to flex a little bit of your muscle here. I uh, was somebody that absolutely... How's this? Let me back up just for a second. So, you know like when you are enjoying something, and but you may not know until later, like, oh, that was considered to be this classic period... There was a period in the from like eighty seven to eighty nine ninety with the with the Spider Man titles, uh, especially with Spectacular Spider Man. That is the greatest shit ever, and like I think John Romita Jr. is part of it, and and that that whole thing. I didn't realize later that that was heralded as one of the greatest eras for Spider Man. So sure. so that's the era I come from. So when we got to the whole thing with Ben Riley and him not being Spider Man, I had. I had a fucking meltdown, and I was like, "Fuck this! I'm out! I'm done!" Close all good, right? But I, but I miss it, and so over the last couple of years, I've bought like from like issue 500 to 700, like little little bits and pieces. But I don't know where to start. So here's the hot seat for you, sir. If for somebody that said "fuck this" after the Ben Riley bullshit in ninety when 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 was that? Ninety five, ninety four, whatever. And it's just it been a little later. A little later? Yeah, right. Everybody's right in that chunk there. Okay. And they're just now picking up Spider Man right now. Give okay. give me the quickest hot seat you can to bring us up to speed. Like if they just want to catch up with what's going on with Spider Man or to right. read something that happened after that, that will bring them back to Spider Man. That's right. Yeah. B- bring bring me back to Spider Man. I'm gonna ask Rez the same question, but I want you to go first. Uh, that's a... It's an interesting question because it's almost like when we talk about Clone Saga, I feel like what made up for Clone Saga was Superior Spider-Man in a way. What, what, like it's a, what's it called? Superior Spider-Man, okay. where Doc Ock took over Peter Parker's you know body for what was that? Almost eighteen months or something. Well, I guess so a year and a half, almost two years yeah. of comics. Okay, um, which happened after issue seven hundred. So there's this lead up to that. So I would say it's six fifty to seven hundred. Okay, sets up Superior Spider-Man. Superior Spider-Man's this big reveal of Doc Ock dies, but he's really taken over Peter's body. Okay. Now he, he's now Spider-Man. He's erased Peter. He has, has his body, and now he's Spider-Man. And it's like how the Clone Saga kind of tricked us for so long, you know? I'm like, well, that, that wasn't really Peter. This is Ben Riley, And everyone got pissed off. Yes. Even though the ending doesn't necessarily stick it as well as you would hope, which is probably the case with a lot of events, there's, I think there's there's a um, a redemption in those the sort of uh, those trick arcs where something else happens where it's no longer the Spider-Man we know, and uh, in, in a lot of way kind of uh, fixes some of that that betrayal that happens in the you know okay. in the four hundred to, to five hundred okay. area there. I, I, it's hard to say like that's the, the one to read, but if you're if you felt burned by that the 
the trick of the 90s. You could read an arc that I think executes a, that, that trick really well. Okay, okay. I mean, it kind of sets up the more, the modern era now of what with Peter and, and the rest of like that Spider-Verse. And what issue is that, you said? I mean, like... You would start with. You start. You, I'd have to look at you. You start around six fifty if okay. you wanted to read the whole lead up okay. to seven hundred, which is the end of volume one. Okay. You know, and then it becomes Superior Spider-Man for like thirty-six issues. Okay. And then you know, it, it then goes back to regular Spider-Man after that. Res, did you weather that storm after the Ben Riley thing? Did you still read all the way up to seven hundred? Uh, hmm. I'm trying to remember. Uh... When the clone stuff was happening, I hadn't been reading Spider-Man for quite a while. I, I, I didn't read much Spider-Man throughout most of the 80s. Um, I was a college student, so I was reading stuff like Love and Rockets and Alan Morks. Well, that's what you and I bonded over when we first met way back in 92 was the Love and Rockets thing. Yeah. Stuff that I thought was adult. <laughs> right, right. Uh, <laughs> eight, eight ball and all that shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so I kind of, uh, just on a whim, I grabbed um, a stack of Spider-Mans, like right, not right in the middle of the Clone Saga, because I'd been reading so much stuff about it at the time. And um, it was kind of tough to make heads or tails of. So I think I read it. And, um, like when Carnage came in and all this stuff, and, uh, I just didn't, I didn't stick with it very long. Okay. Uh, and I came back, I think at some point in the late nineties, uh, John Byrne and Howard Mackey restarted, uh, Spider-Man kind of retold his origin. And then, so I started reading again then and then um when dan slot came on board uh they essentially erased uh spoiler everybody <laughs> they erased the fact that uh spider-man had ever been married to mary jane and uh when that happened i was like oh that's that's the last straw <laughs> Yeah. But, as, uh, as bad as the clone saga burned people and one more day burned people too but then I just to see what was happening I, I bought the first issue after that I think that might have been the first Dan Slot issue and um, it was hey this is really good and I ended up just uh, reading everything starting with uh, what was it 700 uh and I pretty much uh, read every Spider-Man title, so like up through all that Superior Spider-Man stuff and everything. Okay. Um, and it was it, it was really good. I, uh, I know that he takes a lot of flack online for whatever reason. Uh, it's usually a bunch of assholes. Um, oh, it's usually but, what's online, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, I thought it was a really good, um, exciting run. You know, even the events were pretty, like Spider Island and all that stuff. Um, Spider-Verse is good as a self-contained yeah, event. event. Okay. Um, uh, it's one of the better Spider-Man runs in history, really. And, and he did it for 
what was it like okay. only 10 years or something mm -hmm. a long time and, and it was it was pretty good all the way through so what what is where does it start do you know it by in terms of the number like when you say that the part about him no longer being he wasn't married originally to like where where does that start do you know the number it's the late 500s it's the the arc's called one more day one more day okay i got it okay <laughs> All right, so I'm, the reason why because I'm going to have links for this up on our website so people can just very easily click on that and everything else. So. Yeah, yeah. Hey there, everybody. This is Neil Found from Clutch, and you are listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. We're going to take a quick break right now. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the show again. Uh, Want to thank so much to our sponsors, uh, and want to thank these guys uh, for, for being here. We got a lot of great shows. I hope you guys are subscribing again. Check out the current episode of All Things 1980 with Flash Gordon, and Sam Jones, as well as the legendary Barry Corbin. Uh, did you happen to recognize Barry in the latest season of Better Call Saul? He's that stubborn um, tenant that's. Uh, putting the the screws to mesa verde so check that out and and uh man god he was in every movie i ever saw as a kid so such a great thing and he's kind of a neighbor he doesn't live too far from me here so great to have barry uh anyway hope you guys are enjoying it and now back uh to more nerdiness uh with mark rez and uh aaron myers Of your Twitter stream, let people know where they can find you on Twitter. What what is your Twitter stream? Sure, oh, that's just my name, Aaron Myers. Aaron Myers. R O N. Yep. M E Y E R S. And Rez. Um, at real Mark Rez. Okay, cool. Opposed to all those fake Mark Rezes. <laughs> well, there's so many to rifle through out there. Yeah. I I've known you for 30 years, and I still can't pronounce your last name. I just have always called you Rez. So. Uh, let's see here. Hang on. Hang on. Can you come up? Okay. okay. All right. Okay. So, all right. So, what I was going to ask you was, uh, Aaron was uh, talking about your Twitter stream and everything else. Was it's so great? Like I said, seeing the, you know all these great comics and the most popular one seems to be the ones that you get for a dollar. But yeah, you know, it's funny too because sometimes it just hits a the right time of day and there's people have so much nostalgia for something that it will. It'll generate conversation all day long. Yeah, right. You know, but also, but 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 what's also kind of cool though is that I was looking at some of the ones you did recently, and mm -hmm. you know, like if I if I was somewhere, I'm the kind of person like I'm an, you know I'm a record collector. I like to dig for records. I like to dig for comics. If I saw sure. something old and whatever for a dollar, I would I would buy it just for its interesting yeah. and maybe it's worth something, right? Okay, but you the other day posted something. Uh, and I think it was, let me see if I can find, yeah, there was an Archie comic. Now, I like Archie comics, okay, mm -hmm. but you bought an old Archie comic for $120. Oh, sure, yeah. Uh -huh. Okay, now, that separates the men from the boys, as it were, in terms of being just a casual fan. I'm not sure I've ever spent $120 on any, any one single comic. So is, I, I just spent $250 on an Archie yesterday. <laughs> Okay, so is that indicative of your fanfare, or are you a recent lottery winner? <laughs> no, uh, I mean, for a long time, like, my comics money comes from comics, so I buy and resell. Okay, so okay. The uh, selling comics pays for all the comics I keep. I mean, I've got a collection of, like, 65,000 comics now, but it's all been paid for by 
buying and selling comics. Well, so you answered the next question because I wanted to ask how many comics do you think you have? And B, <laughs> do you you remember? Uh, I remember there was a band called Cake, and they had a song called "How sure. you, How You Afford Your Rock and Roll Lifestyle." <laughs> That was my thing. I was like, how the fuck can you afford to drop not only $120 on Archie Comics multiple times in a week, but then this thing is what really freaked me out. I want to have a picture of this on the, on the website. Let me, I, I snapshotted it. I'm sure it's cool and, and awesome, but I don't know if our, if our viewers can see that right there. But you tweeted, fine, uh, it says, it goes, it goes, since y'all need to know, it's this. $1,850 and you kind of give this kind of humble like eh, I know I lost my mind ha shaw you know yeah, so, I have the money so okay that's what I'm saying so first of all what the fuck is that it's $1,850 and how did you how do you afford this comic sales um I mean like Last week, um, I bought a, I don't know if you saw the Hulk 181 CGC that came into a local store. That is my upgrade. I sold my other copy. I made $1,000 off of what I paid for the upgrade, plus what I sold the other one for. There's $1,000 right there to spend on comics. I sold, I don't know, I think sales were like maybe $3,500 last week in, in books. That's profit. Okay. Roll it back into other stuff. Like... Normally, 18, 1850 is a lot for me to spend on on a single comic. There's only four graded copies out there. Like it's just a that's a hard book to find. I, yeah. When am I ever going to have another chance to get a first appearance of the tick? Well, I mean, I don't. I'm not impugning on it. I think it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, we're here to we're here to celebrate that shit, not shame you for it. We just we just want you to know how envious we are, and we want to know the details. You know, but it's also funny too because it's like. That's a lot for me. To some of the guys, some of the dealers I know, like eighteen fifty is nothing. Like they're buying stacks of five thousand dollar books, you know, that they're some of them are keeping, some they're reselling. Like the golden age market is insane. Like the the amount of money and the deep pockets some of these dealers have, and it's almost like because they've been doing it for so long, they've turned so much profit over the years because these books have become so valuable versus what they were. 30, 40 years ago, you know, like pre-colored horror, hardly anyone cared about it necessarily even like 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Some of these guys were just scooping them up at, at yard sales and, and you know, flea markets for nothing. And now those books are worth 5,000, 10,000, oh. 50,000, you know? So it's like, it all becomes relative. Like one of the store owners here, he bought Action One for six thousand dollars in nineteen eighty one. Fuck, God, that was a God. lot of money for him back then. He took out a loan from his parents and everything. People thought he was a crazy person. That yeah. was worth one and a half million dollars now. You know, so it's and it's like and that's the tip of the iceberg with his collection because he was such a fan of comics. Like he's like one of these few these people that I'm, I'm truly envious of because he was growing up in the perfect time where all the comics were coming out. He was passionate about finding everything for himself, and he kept everything. And he has he has one of these collections where Metropolis um, Collectibles came out to to look at it, maybe buy his action, and then he showed him the rest of the collection. And they just left going like we've never seen a collection like this, like and that's Metropolis. So it's you know it's like I, I, I'm having a lot of fun for like being back into collecting for the last ten years, but but relatively I haven't even started. Yeah, you know? that's in, that's incredible. So, Rez, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you. It was there ever a purchase 
uh, or that you didn't make. Like, like you, you may have had an opportunity and for whatever you didn't have the money or you didn't pull the trigger that you look back in hindsight and was like, oh, God, why? Is there anything like that for you? Oh, so many things. <laughs> um, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 129. Oh. Um, I missed it. Uh, when it was on the stands, but um, a few months later, uh, I found this, um, there used to be this grocery store in Minnesota when we'd go on vacation that would take their, like, their several month old comics and just tear the covers off and (laughs) throw them in this bin and sell them for a dime. So I still have, you know, several hundred of those like we'd go on vacation i'd go with my mom to buy groceries at this little grocery store and you know for like two dollars i'd get a stack of 20 comics none of them had the covers on them so i still have that amazing spider-man first appearance of the punisher uh with no cover right (laughs) (laughs) um and you know not too long after that um I, I could have searched for a back issue of it. I, at the time, you know, uh, like in the mid-70s, there, there just weren't any comic stores, like at least no, nowhere near where I lived. Right. And, uh, it was always the little spinny thing. Yeah, yeah it, inside comics, there were different dealers and stuff. So... Um, when uh, Giant Size X-Men number one came out, um, I was already a fan of the X-Men, like the reprint title. So I had um, subscribed to that. So my first two issues were reprints, and then my first one was uh, X-Men 94, or my third one. Oh my gosh. So that was the first uh, 10 issues of the new X-Men. Um, and I noticed this character, Wolverine. Uh, I was like, oh, I remember he was in an issue of Hulk a few months ago. <laughs> so I talked my mom into uh, letting me send off for one of these mail order catalogs in, in the back of a comic. And so I got um, Incredible Hulk, uh, what is it, 181? 181, yeah. God damn. 180, the, the one before, the, the actual first appearance. Of, uh, That's right. So I got both <laughs> of those. I think one of them was 75 cents and the other was a dollar. Um, and at a time when comics were like uh, 20 cents or 25 cents, it, it seemed exorbitant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Somehow uh, I talked my mom into letting me get those two. And I, I still have them. Oh, wonderful. I've read them countless times, but so they're not in that great a shape. But uh, they're, they're still valuable, I think. You know, they're, oh yeah, oh yeah. Even a, a rag copy of one eighty one is worth a thousand dollars. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's totally intact and complete. I think the Marvel value stamp is still in there, even. Oh wow, <laughs> wow! But just the value that it has to you. I mean, if that book was worth you know twenty cents. The, the 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 memory you have of asking your mom and you remember where you were when you got it. I mean, that that to me is. I was always the guy. I don't give a shit about preserving the toy in the. Let me play with this motherfucker. Like you know, I mean. No. 
you know, and even as an adult, I don't have any regrets about that. It's kind of like, you know, sure, I could now sell this for new shit, but then I wouldn't have the memory of actually playing with this thing. Uh, I'm going to give you all a little bit of a tour here here in a second. Like, I've got, uh, obviously, I'm a G.I. Joe guy, and I've got the, um, I can't have all the toys I had as a kid, but, like, I still have the Mobat. Uh, this was bought at a... Uh, Sterling's in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1982, and I, I mean, this is the actual one, not, so I would rather have this sitting on my desk all these years later than having it in a box in my closet, you know what I mean, so, um, now you mentioned that you want to do this now, um, uh, so we'll do a tour here in a second, but real fast, I'll, to, to build on that, you mentioned about comic book stores. Uh, of course, Aaron, uh, Rez and I are, are, are from Texas, and so there was a great chain for a while called Lone Star Comics, of course, you remember Rez. And uh, there was one right off of, it was like an Irving, which is between Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah. And they had a Avengers, uh, I guess number. I guess it's number four, the first appearance of Captain America. Is that number four? And, uh, and so... I, this is 1991, 92-ish, whatever. You know, I'm like 17, 18. And they had it for $80. Not a mint copy, but not, you know, very respectful one, respectable one. And $80 to me is a, you know, I was working at Burger King. And not only that, but they were going to fucking let me put it on layaway. All I had to do was put down 10 bucks. And I gave them ten dollars for this, and I never went back to get it. <laughs> I mean, to this day, I'm just like that. That is the that that's the shot to the heart. You know what I mean? Like that's. Thankfully, I have a bunch of others where I, I I did pull the trigger and I did you know capitalize. But sometimes we often mourn more what we didn't get instead of celebrating what we did what we do have. But. So now I'm going to show you a few things that we do have. Uh, that's, that's, that's something that's kind of exciting that's happening in comics right now. So I'm going to pass this to my assistant here. Hang on here. I'm going to unplug this here. Okay. So follow me over here just for a second. Um, I'm going to spin this around just for a second here. So can you guys see right here? C come on over here. Um so right now, obviously, I'm a G.I. Joe guy, and right now, it's a very exciting time. Like I said, Larry Hama came back to the book after, after literally 15 years. It's like one of those things where you think, oh, you can never go home again kind of deal, and it's just so neat that he's been back since 2010 and better than ever. The current run, like for example, is like right now, we got 271 and 272, and I'll have links to this for our listeners, but for our people that are watching. So these are the regular covers. It's a, it's a thing called Snake Hunt. It's about a seven, I think it's seven to nine books. So these are the regular covers. But my man Jamie Sullivan is doing something really, really cool right now where each one, here's the alternative ones, where when he's done, it'll have every single Joe, literally ever. And even the ones that are have passed on, they're being held up here, like, like for example, like Quick Kick and, and all this kind of stuff, Snake Eyes and all this are right here. But I thought you guys would like to see what it was going, what it's actually going to look like when it's done. So, and I may never have spent 120 bucks on a comic. Maybe, maybe my wife doesn't hear this, right? But, but my man Jamie Sullivan did a very, very small run of the actual original uh, print here. So this is actually what this will look like when this is all said and done here. 
Jamie Sullivan is an amazing artist. He's, he did a couple of neat things for me. My favorite Joe is actually Stalker, and he did that for me as addition, in addition to this right here. So, uh, so that's a very, very exciting thing that's happening right now um, with IDW for G.I. Joe. And very quickly, I wanted to address this. I, I see in the back there, Aaron, you've got all those classic, awesome, long boxes. And I still, <laughs> and I still do, too. But, but a lot of people ask me about storage. And I wanted okay. you to know that I that if you have the means, come over here, yeah, to invest in a fireproof safe. And here's another reason why. Not only is it for protection, but I love all my long boxes and I have all that. But it was like they were just they're living in the boxes. I'm not actually having access to them. I can't feel them and touch them and enjoy them. Now I get to open one drawer. Can you yeah. get us a little higher? And there it is. So for me, I've got there's GI Joe. And then all the cool dynamite stuff. Aaron, you and I talked about the AOC book the other day, and there, there it is. And good for her today for, for defending herself on the steps today and putting yeah. that motherfucker in this place where he belongs. Um, but, you know, all the cool, like, you know, rock books. Like Slayer did a great run and uh, actually performed live at SDCC. Uh, it should be happening right now. But uh, for me, it's all about G.I. Joe, Spider-Man, Punisher. So if you can get one of these, definitely do so. Uh, thank you, darling. I appreciate that. So we're gonna. So I'm gonna get back to here and spin this around. Give me just one second here. Hey, going going back to uh, regrets. There was a store here in town that was closing up, and they had forty of those drawer boxes. Those you know, what you've got for the fireproof ones, they yeah. about 50 bucks a piece. Oh, my God. And, and oh. Like, oh, I'd like them, but I just thought of, like, having to move them all, and, and it was just it was just one of those things where, like, it felt so daunting, like, where I'd have to re pull everything out, rearrange things. The kids were even younger than they are now. With like So just doing this whole massive rearrange of all my comics with babies at home and everything, I'm just right. like, oh, I'll forget it, and now I, now I wish I had them, because those are expensive. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm well versed in how much that costs, but I I actually invested in it for the same reasons actually because I'm actually a a new dad. Um, so we've got two kids in the house now. My daughter was born in uh, in April, and my son was will turn two, uh, and he is he's just like me, hell on wheels and fearless. Uh, and so I was kind of like, well, I also kind of doing this for kind of maybe kind of protection as well you know so but a lot of people ask me about that and I thought this would be a great way to actually show them uh, some of the things that are coming up in terms of and I and also it's a little easier for me Aaron because I don't have 60,000 comics I've got about I've got about maybe you know respectable I've got about 5,000 comics sure Rez what would you say the size of your collection is uh, uh. <laughs> If I would guess, I got probably 100 long boxes. I don't know exactly what that runs like to. 12,000 comics. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a lot, man. You know? <laughs> it seems like more. <laughs> yeah, right, 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 sure. Has there ever, is there ever like we're talking about little tragic tales, has there ever been a thing where you were in a situation where you had to sell something not because you wanted more comics but just out of necessity because I know that pain too uh, yeah when I was um, a college student um, 
a broke college student and uh, I had a tiny little storage place that I kept most of them in. Like I think I had a couple of boxes in my dorm, but the rest of them, uh, I had moved them from one brother's garage to my other brother's garage and they were just getting tired of, of hanging on to them. So I, uh, I decided I needed to sell some of them and I, I set aside the ones that I, that I really wanted and then I took several boxes just to uh, a comic book store, which is probably the worst thing you can do. The absolute worst. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they kind of, instead of just buying uh, the whole collection I brought, um, which is what I wanted, I I wanted to get rid of them just because I couldn't afford to pay to store them anymore. And I needed the money. Yeah, uh, but they like picked through them and, and picked all the all the good shit. They cherry picked, right? Yeah. And, and <laughs> so I still um, there's still times when I'm like digging for something. And I'm like, where in the hell? I know I've got this. And I then it finally hits me. Oh, it's one of the ones I sold like in the '80s and stuff. Yeah. It's literally almost all the Spider-Man comics from about. Uh, from about 111 through about 200. Oh. Got a few of them left, but they they definitely they tore those up. Uh, a bunch of the Daredevil, like the Frank Miller Daredevils, but I I um, I've picked those up again since. Okay, but good, good. Just um, I don't even know still what all they. You know, until I'm looking for it. I know, that's the unknown, I know. So I I did the same thing to another Lone Star Comics. It was, again, to find... I moved to New York in 2006, and I... uh, I, A lot of my records and and comics and stuff kind of financed that move. And same shit, man. They went through all my stuff, and I think all the Death of Superman, all that stuff was in there. And I think, oh, I've got that comic. You know, come here, young man, let me show you. And they, oh, I don't have it anymore. It's you know was was taken somewhere else, but I um, but yeah, you know, we all have stories like that, but you know, but at the same time, like I said, boo fucking who? Look at our collections now, motherfuckers, because we've got a lots of cool shit. So, Aaron, what is in all of those comics? What is the prize? If your house caught on fire and you secured the kids and the wife, what's the one thing you're grabbing? It's like it's it's like what's irreplaceable, right? And I don't know if it would be comics anymore. I think probably I'd grab my original art portfolios. Okay, but I mean, because but, but for the sake of comics, back. sure. But for the right. sake of comics, though, because you see, I've got my art sure. on the wall too. But just for the sake of comics, if you're grabbing one, which one are you grabbing? Couldn't think what's the most important. And you know, it's almost like Uncle Scrooge. Like the first. Um, the first comic I can remember getting was from a family friend, and it was Adam and Hawkman 54. And it's almost like, I kind of think of it as my like, lucky number one dime. Yeah. You know, I've got it in the box. It's marked, like, because I've got, I buy it whenever I find a copy, so I've got, like, eight copies of it. But I, I have marked, this is the, the original one. And it's almost like that's that's the, uh, you know, the starting point right, of sure. comics for me. So it's like there's a lot of sentimental value in that, in that particular copy, whereas... There's a lot of value in the collection itself, but nothing has quite the same level of sentimentality. To me, that's that, like that. 
to me that has the most value. Like I was saying earlier about about you know Mark talking about uh, you know the memories that you have. You know, again, I probably like like same thing with you. Like there probably there's comics in that big thing over here that are worth way more. But the right. one that I'm grabbing, like you said, was the first comic that started started it all for me. That's not worth nearly as much as my most valuable comic. But you answered a great question for me already because I was going to ask you both: What was the first comic you ever had? So, Rez, what was your first comic? Um, I I don't really know. Um, I come from a big family. I have three older brothers, two older sisters. So from the time I was born, there were already all kinds of comics around the house. So even before I could read, I would have my mom or, or my dad or one of my brothers and sisters read a comic to me. Um, so I don't, I mean, they were, they're just always there. And, right. Uh, so I don't have a specific memory of this is the very first one. You know, I probably was a year old the first or less the first time i held a comic in my sticky little hand (laughs) but do you have a memory of you actually like your first memory of going to like a store remember those little spinny racks or something like that what is what is your first memory of that Hmm. yeah um uh, i have a memory of um being in the hospital getting my tonsils out uh, when I was five, and um, my brothers came to visit me, and they went to the gift shop downstairs and got me a stack of like four or five comics. And my mom was spending the night with me in the hospital room, and uh, one of those comics was uh, Silver Surfer number one. And I sat there in bed, uh, with having just had my tonsils removed, and and my mom read that comic to me wow so that, that one's always really special to me and so, it's interesting that um my mom would always say that silver surfer was her favorite comic character uh just because she read so many issues of that run to me and i think it was a little more philosophical and kind of shakespearean than the average marvel comic for sure yeah um, i think um she would read them all you know good and bad and, and you know funny animal comics like uh and hot stuff and whatnot but oh yeah we always singled out uh silver surfer as her favorite so it definitely has a sentimental value to me because of that that's that's awesome man that see that that's the good shit that's the real shit you know i would say my version of that is actually not comics if you were to see the other side of the, of the wall here this whole wall here is pretty much dedicated to my love of baseball, especially the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, no disrespect to the Texas Rangers. They're my favorite American League team, and I like your hat there, Rez. But I grew up in the first 13 years in Arkansas where we had no MLB teams, and if you grew up in the 80s, the Phillies were the shit. But but like you, I caught, uh, I caught a very rare form of scarlet fever uh, in 1980 at age 6, the year that the Phillies won their first World Series. So I watched these guys do this from a hospital bed and they were like they were like gods to me. This was a, this was a lifeline to me, and my gratitude and for that and hero and heroship for that has remained to this day. But I, uh, 
But in terms of comics, uh, it was Richie Rich. I remember reading Richie Rich. And then uh, G.I. Joe was being, again, marketed to, to kids. It was the first one ever had a comic book commercial, if you guys remember, in the early 80s. Aaron, how old are you, might be asking? I'm going to be 42 in a month. Okay, so I'm, I, well, happy early birthday. And I'm 46. <laughs> and, Rez, you're, just a few, you're about five years older than I am, aren't you? But maybe five or six. Uh, 57. Okay, so you're 10 years older than I am. Okay, I, I guess I knew that. Um, so, but if you remember on 82, there was, again, G.I. Joe was the first and maybe only, uh, you know, comic, you know, commercial. Um, and I was reading it, I think starting with issue three, but it wasn't until 14, I remember, that an older friend of mine hit me to the fact that, oh, these things come out once a month. There's a number in the top left corner. That's the issue number. That's So for me, that's when I started kind of getting it going. So, so for me, it would probably be that first issue three of G.I. Joe, that first Richie Rich comic, and G.I. Joe 14, because that, that was my lap bulb moment. I remember that that night was when Michael Jackson was going to be on the Motown 25th anniversary. All kind of all kind of came together there. So uh, so for me that that has the most currency is is that type of memory that you associate, you know, with those things. Oh, yeah. Um uh, Mark uh, Rez, you said something earlier today that I thought was kind of funny. Um, we have long and I think you and I have as well. Uh, we've long made the joke of Acme to Amazon, you know the, the the whole Acme thing and the Looney Tunes has really has come to be uh, with with the company of Amazon. Um, I'm also I know you are too, Rez, equally a, a massive uh, cartoon guy. Um, is there has there been anything that has come out recently, or that you're hoping that's going to come out in terms of the home video format uh, that you loved and or worshipped as a kid? Um, uh, well, there's a lot of stuff I hope comes out, but, um, yeah, recently there was the, uh, that Tex Avery collection. Yep. Um, it's a long time coming. Long but time coming. Also on, uh, HBO Max, they have, they have new Looney Tunes yep. that are, if you haven't watched those yet, those are, they're really good, like the best kind of. They're, they're in the spirit of the original Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies from, you know, the golden age of cartoons, but, uh-huh. uh, but updated, but not in an obnoxious kind of, you know, here's a cell phone and here's a computer kind of... Right, <laughs> right, right. And they're going to be using, like, I mean, it's it's still timeless. They've upgraded the, uh, the production value, but like you said, it's timeless and they're great. Yeah, they're, they're awesome. Uh... What's up? This is the infamous serial wax killer, Beastie Boys DJ Assassin, Mix Master Mike, and you're tuned into my man DJ Tricky Kid. Don't be a clown. Don't sleep. Check it out, y'all. We're going to take a quick break right now. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying the show again. Uh, want to thank so much to our sponsors. Uh, I want to thank these guys uh, for, for being here. we got a lot of great shows. I hope you guys are subscribing again. Check out the current episode of All Things 1980 with Flash Gordon and Sam Jones, as well as the legendary Barry Corbin. Uh, did you happen to recognize Barry in the latest season of Better Call Saul? He's that stubborn um, tenant that's... Uh, 
putting the the screws to Mesa Verde. So check that out. And and uh, man, God, he was in every movie I ever saw as a kid. So such a great thing. And he's kind of a neighbor. He doesn't live too far from me here. So great to have Barry. Uh, anyway, hope you guys are enjoying it. And now back uh, to more nerdiness uh, with Mark Rez and uh, Aaron Myers. Aaron, are you a cartoon guy? <laughs> I mean, I've got two little kids. So <laughs> I mean, but you, but you personally. Of course, I mean, you know, of course, in terms of like the heyday when we were growing up of, uh, you know, all those the cartoons that were tied into all the uh, media properties too, you know, toys and comics right. and everything else. We can go back to G.I. Joe and Transformers and right. Voltron, like, uh, like talking about posts, like this week I went into the comic book store, which is a collectible store, and the guy who owns it has just his massive collection. He half owns the store, I think, basically to sell the stuff that he's stuffed in his storage units over the last 50 years. <laughs> and, and it's all reasonable, totally reasonable. Like, you know, and it's like, I go in there every day because I, ne- I never know when he's going to decide to bring something in. And it's like, so I went in there and it's like, what's that? And he pulls out and it's a 1984 Voltron new, you know, new in the box. And it's Fucking a hey. third of the price you could buy it on eBay for. And so it's like, well, I got to take that with me. Cause well, yeah. it's, I had, I had a Voltron. It wasn't that, it wasn't the die cast model. That was way too expensive. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's all hitting those nostalgia points. But like, I watched all as much as you could because part of my growing up is like we. Grew, I grew up in a very rural area, so it's like we had three TV stations. You know, yeah. off an antenna when you could tune it in. You know, our house was two hundred and fifty square feet. You know, we had sixteen acres on the middle of nowhere. So it's like my access to pop culture was always kind of delayed too. And you get these little snippets, and they were like like drops of, you know, manna from heaven. It's like, oh, oh there's a G.I. Joe comic at the store that the store owner who went to the, the bigger town and would buy stuff from other stores and then bring them back to, you know, right, her right. store. And you'd get, you know, you get these little little bits. Like, I would never get sequential chunks of comics. I would get, like, the scraps that were left over on the on the racks for, right. that was left in town that she would buy, you know, as surplus or something. So it's uh, it was always, you had to use a lot of imagination of, like, I don't know what happened in the last four issues, but I'm going to try to figure it out. And then maybe I'll get one in like four months and like try to fill in the rest of that story. And, you know, and then you'd watch some of the, the TV shows or, you know, you'd get a few episodes of Transformers, then maybe you wouldn't get some more. So there's, uh, I think part of like the ravenous collecting bug is trying to recapture all that stuff you missed as a kid. Well, you know, I think it's also great though too because it also it makes you want to collect different titles. Do you, do you guys remember? Oh, yeah. I, I guess it was. I think it was at Target or some type of department store. There were these. You see them now a lot in comic book stores. But I remember first discovering these just random bundles of comics at department stores where there was about five to seven comics, and it was clearly random and put into a bag and 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 I would I would maybe want one of those comics that were on the front maybe like a Transformers and then I would take it home and next thing you know I'm reading shit like Moon Knight and uh and what what was the other one Alpha help me out Alpha uh, Flight Alpha Flight thank you which was kind of considered kind of the kind of kind of the shit the bottom of the barrel but I loved that stuff back then you know <laughs> I wanted to share something else you mentioned the Tex Avery thing um so Tex Avery is like, like if, if we have one of those um, those Mount Rushmore people that I would have liked to have had a conversation with at some point, it would be Tex Avery. Um, like Rez, my background is also in the music industry, and uh, I was working and managing a, a band. Um, there's an offshoot of the band Clutch that's from Baltimore, Maryland, called Never Got Caught. 
and they were uh, they're based out of Boston, and I was their manager for, for for a few years, and I was going to turn it on. And we were about to start a tour the next day, and I was going to Boston from New York, and there was a big convention in town, and I couldn't get a hotel room, so I ended up staying with a bass player. He's you know he's a Boston guy, you know he's a tough guy, the whole bit. Shout out to Paul Delaire by the way from from Never Got Caught. Um, and when we get to his house, he's a big fucking nerd. He has all this nerdy shit. And if you remember, there was a Tex Avery box set about that came out about 15 years ago that came and went. And it's still the most comprehensive one. And it's worth, if you were to find it, if you even can find it, because no one's going to part with it. And I, this to me, this is the holy grail. And I get to Paul's house, and he has that box. And this is around 2000, and I want to say nine or so. So the funny part of the story is that we were supposed to get up the next day to, to go down to Charlotte to start the tour with Clutch, and I'm supposed to be Mr. Responsible Manager guy that's getting all this together, but I ended up staying up all night long because I was alone in a room with that Tex Avery box set, and I'm thinking, when the fuck is this ever going to happen? When will I ever get this chance? So... The first day of the tour, instead of being like, all right, guys, day one, let's kick ass, I'm like dragging ass because my commitment was more to the genius of Tex Avery than it was to my band. And then, and I make no apologies about that. So, uh, Rez, have you seen that, that new box, the, 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 the Blu-ray, it's the volume one? Have you seen it? Do you own it? Yep, I own it. Okay. Uh, it's got... A lot of great ones on there, um, but I'm, you know, I'm ready for all the other volumes. Uh, it's it's all his. Uh, well, if they finish, uh, it'll be all of his MGM right cartoons that he directed. Um, you can find a few other ones on. Um, there's a Looney Tunes uh, platinum collection. Right. Blu-ray, where in the bonus material, they have another maybe 10 Tex Avery cartoons, MGM ones. Right, right, yeah. Um, if you have uh, all those uh, Looney Tunes, like gold and platinum collection box sets, they're all scattered. You know, Yeah, they're not collected, right, yeah. The stuff he did for Warner Brothers, yeah, along. Like, there's no, there aren't too many... Um, director specific discs in there there are right. a few actually but not there's not one devoted to tex avery really but um well, that was what made it so appealing, that box set that Paul had originally, because it collected everything except for the, the, the final reel he did for Warner Brothers that we still have, no one has ever seen, or at least if, if they have, it's never been released in, in the current format. And so I know that there is Volume 2 is coming out, supposed to be in time for Christmas, if the, if the current situation hasn't slowed down that production. So I'm hoping Santa's going to bring me Part 2 there. You mentioned the Looney Tunes thing, which is pretty cool. Uh, a lot of those now are actually what they call, like, they don't actually exist. You have to order it, and then they make one for you and send it out to you. And I was going to give you an example uh, that brings us back to some some stuff we're hoping that comes out and whatever. But it, So Hanna-Barbera currently has a great system. It's the Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection. Again, these don't actually exist. 
you actually have to order it because there's not much of a demand for it, right? And it's very basic. Like, obviously, I, I love Mr. T, and it's very basic. There's no, there's like, there's no extra shit. There's no booklet. There's no stickers. There's no, you know, you push a button and, you know, treat your mama right plays or some shit like, you know. But it's cool enough just to have it, you know. If you want stuff that people, you know, didn't, that you grew up with. Like, I've got the, the Chuck Norris. I've got the Mr. T. Um, and then I've got uh, both seasons of Pac-Man, which includes the beloved Christmas Comes to Pac-Land that I subject my friends and family to every holiday season. So, finally, they actually made something available just this month that we're going to talk about just for a second. And that is, uh, I, that's the baseball wall, that's the art wall, that wall, and this whole studio is pretty much a shrine in a museum to my beloved Harlem Globetrotters, okay? So, finally... Do you, oh. do you guys remember this cartoon? Yes. <clears throat> yes. And so there was, of course, there was the regular Globetrotters. They were just doing the basketball shit. And, of course, the cool appearances they made on the, the Scooby-Doo, new Scooby-Doo adventures in the early 80s, of course. Remember how weird that was? How, like, the guests were, like, Jerry Reed and, like, Phyllis Diller and, and Abin Costello. Just great shit. I wish they would collect that. I would buy that box set. But... But this is actually a separate one where actually the Globetrotters become their own individual superheroes. Like Curly Neal becomes like a basketball. Uh, rest in peace to Curly. We lost him this past February. Uh, but I now have this. And my little boy Miles and I are just having a, a, a ball with this. Um, so I wanted to bring attention to that. That if you guys, you and our listeners and our watchers, if there's something that you're looking for that you grew up with, uh, and it was Hanna-Barbera, it actually might be available whether you know it or not because they'll do a direct order for you. Um, yeah. Was there anything, so is there anything uh, out there right now that you're hoping for, Rez, uh, that, that is not actually available? Cartoon-wise? Or cartoon-wise, yeah. Uh, oh, my goodness. Well, I, I, um, I really wish someone would come out with like... Uh, like a complete Warner Brothers cartoons, um, you know, starting in 1932 or whenever. Yeah. Just to be able to watch them all in chronological order would be cool. Like, um, there's, I think there's six Golden Collection box sets. Yeah. Each of those have four discs, and there's three Platinum Collections. Uh, and you know, there's so many other cartoons that that aren't on those, and, and those Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies uh, are those are my favorites. I mean, yeah, totally. I think they're pretty much everybody's favorites. But uh, a couple years ago, I think it was from Warner Archives that makes uh, all those like made-to-order things, like you're talking about. Um, they came out with Porky Pig 101. It has uh, it's five discs, and they have every black and white Porky Pig. Wow! Okay. Um, in all in chronological order, it's all it's on a, a DVR, but uh, it's really cool to have them. You know, to be able to watch them in the order yeah. that they came out. Uh, 
And most of them, because they're black and white, were not ones that I saw on TV when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when I got that, there were dozens of classics that I had never seen before. That's outstanding. How much do you think, though, because you know a lot of that stuff we wasn't very PC, and, and, and there's a lot of... You know, there's a lot of blackface in there at times, that type of deal. And one of one of my, and of course, obviously, we you know we don't endorse that and want that to, to not perpetuate. But from a historical standpoint, you know, um, uh, you know, there, there was a Looney Tunes co- uh, car, uh, segment called "Dog Gone South." That's part of the early stuff. You might remember this segment, and it's it's kind of the one where I think where like Bugs Bunny crosses like the Mason Dixon line. It, it's got a lot of that kind of stuff in it. But one, but one of the, the great lines is where the, uh, the owner of the house calls out to his dog and he has that great voice, that great Mel Blanc voice where he goes, Oh, Belvedere, come here, boy, you know? And so I, I hate that the genius of Mel Blanc has been the only grave site I've ever visited, by the way. I tried to do the Jim Morrison thing once in France, but but to have that buried underneath that PC stuff, on one hand, I find it to be unfair. On the other hand, I completely commiserate and understand that we don't want to perpetuate some of the the sins of the past. So I, I would hope that there's we could find a way where we could people could still enjoy those cartoons uh, without inviting too much discourse what do you what do you think res they usually have um like on those looney tunes and on the tom and jerry's uh they have a disclaimer at the beginning okay when you first put the disc in essentially saying what you did like um these stereotypes were wrong at the time and they're wrong now yeah that's right Um, but the cartoons are presented, you know, for historical value and to to pretend that they don't exist would be to ignore these ugly stereotypes in the past, you know. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like when people say, oh, I don't see race. It's like, well, if you don't see race, then you're ignoring the plight of what people have, have have been through i know that they use that as a way to to try to say um oh you know i'm i'm, I'm not this hor- you know this horrible thing i understand why people say those types of things but i always tend to take offense when people always say well i don't see color people are just people and like well if you don't see color then you're you're denying the 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 plight that they've been through you know do you agree with that oh yeah of course uh you should um how do i put you should acknowledge uh, color and ethnicity and, you know, use it to learn more about people that aren't in the same uh, situation you, you're in. Right, of course. Um, well, you got to rec- recognize your own privilege and, and, you know, that's the first step toward understanding that's right well see i know that about you mark because i know you but i'm just saying i wanted our listeners to be able to you know be able to give you that platform to be able to say that and of course and i don't want this to turn into a bummer but what what i'm going to segue into is this and aaron forgive me if you plan on doing or tackling this on your own show on comics therapy uh but one thing i did want to address which was kind of fun and, and again is that uh 
what actually also brought me here immediately, like I told you how, thanks to Rez's retweeting you and stuff, that's how I came to know you, but you started talking about something, uh, and I, for the life of me, I, I, I did a little bit of digging and everything else, and I couldn't find out or kind of get it in the small amount of time that I had to actually look for it. So my motivation was, let's just bring the dude on. I've been wanting to talk to him anyway, and let's get Rez on. He and I have been wanting to kind of do it. So, again, this isn't going to be a bummer, but it's something I, I wanted to address. That second drawer we showed you over there is nothing but all the Dynamite comics with the Red Sonia and the Vampirella with all the kick-ass cosplay covers. It's my favorite thing right now. I love it. And I'm sitting there following you on Twitter, and I see you tweet something that says, I'm, I'm done with Dynamite for now. Well, that immediately is going to get my attention because I'm thinking, well, why? What happened? And I tried to dig a little bit to find out why. And you were talking about some things and using some words and things in here that I I, I have no idea. So so I'm going to let you take over it from here. And again, if you're going to, we'll only we'll touch upon it because if you plan on doing an entire episode yourself, that's great. But I wanted to ask you. You mentioned something again. You weren't going to. You were going to kind of boycott or take a break from Dynamite for a little bit. It had something specifically to do with one specific writer, it, 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 it seemed. And you mentioned something called Comics Gate. First of all, what the fuck is Comics Gate? It's like almost if you if you don't know what it is, I almost feel like you should I shouldn't you know I shouldn't expose you to it because it's just such a, a kind of a dark side of the uh, fandom. But okay. I mean, essentially, what Comics Gate is, it's an extension of what GamerGate was, which is a cult. You know, a group of what started as, I would say, right-wing, alt-right, misogynist, racist, homophobic uh, fans who saw the shifting uh, culture. I mean, it's not even shifting. Like, really, if you're a fan of, of comics, like, it's always been left-leaning, liberal, right. socially progressive. But these people feel that, like, there is a uh, infection of um, PC culture within the medium, right? And that it's backlash against that. That they, they just want good comics. I you know, see. I see. Without 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 politics in them. Even though all the comics that they have created so far are rife with with politics and and just of a of a right leaning or all right kind of kind of nature. Um, so so what came out with Dynamite last week, and it was already sort of known, and already started as something like I've seen over the past year, year and a half, is that they're really cozying up to Comicscape publishers and creators and doing tie-in variant covers, which were Dynamite, you know, with, if you're if you're a collector of Dynamite, you know they do a ton of variants for every issue. That is yeah. a big part of their business model. And outside stores and, and creators can can commission their own variant covers for anything, basically. And it's like, if you want to sell your own variant cover, you order 2000 you pay them a certain amount to, for the privilege of doing it, and you can publish it out. And they don't, in the past, never really seemed to have much care of who was doing it. And so they, they'd been allowing that for some people that I found pretty personally repugnant. Wow. Um, and okay. I was dealing with them allowing that. And it's like, you kind of have to come to that... You're trying to. I was trying to weigh that personally of how much does it matter in that business model sense in terms of gatekeeping who can do what with them, and then at what point does it become an endorsement, right, of a platform? Right. Sure. Sure. 
because I think there's a complexity now to Comicscape that it's it's been around for a few years that there is a segment of people that feels like this goes back even to our earlier discussion of like how burned you felt with um, Clone Saga, right? Like right, how yeah. they they screwed over Spider Man. This isn't my Spider Man. Screw it. I quit. Right? Like right. I understand that, especially when it comes to big two properties. For me. Uh, what I kind of came to an acceptance, especially when I came back to comics, is that characters will always end up in the same place they've always started at. And like comics always return to zero. And the journey is how it changes over an arc of one year, five years, ten years, whatever, to keep the keep it fresh. And that means changing it. It means taking a Tony Stark off the board and you're bringing in a Riri Williams. You know, it's like, right. it's all Iron Man, right? It's not, it's not now replacing a character with a black character. It's an evolution. It's telling the story. You know, it's, it's, it's all that, but I think almost there's a tendency, I don't know if it's becoming older or this gravitation to holding on to our youth that then makes every kind of change to a character feel like a betrayal. Yeah. I don't really feel that. I don't feel that personally, but I understand how people can feel that way. Especially like I was talking. I'm sorry, I'm rambling, but no, not at all. I was, I was talking to a, a toy collector friend. Like he runs, a, he has a toy store, and we were talking about um, a tendency for conservatives to especially gravitate towards this collect collecting hobby and this recapturing of nostalgia. Not, not exclusively, but he said he noticed that like his really hardcore um, uh, customers. A lot of them are pretty right leaning. I'm saying like that mm. that recapturing of the past has some sort of tying in with conservative culture too. So it's like you know, as as a very liberal person, I, I try to understand what somebody else's mindset in there because I can't I can't understand the politics of it, and I can't really understand personally where they're coming from. But I, it's it helps to know where how somebody gets there, right? Right, right. Like. You know, it's like people aren't born racist, people aren't born bigots, and there's a spectrum of bigotry and racism in our country, in fandoms, and everything else. And it's it's not it's not a, a zero sum game, but like, Comicsgate has its roots in bigotry and racism, Ugh. and the, the the creators wow. behind that. I've known them. This is these are people that I interacted with when I first started Twitter, when I first started getting back into into comics, where the politics of today were. The seeds were there, but it wasn't. It wasn't the same, right? It was. Right. It was under the surface. And some of the guys that really started this movement, especially once Trump came and started to come to power, were guys that I traded comics with. That you know, guys you talked to on Twitter. It was a much smaller fandom, and then there was this big shift and a pushback. And then they started finding out they could make money with the platform. So it was really YouTube driven. And it was like, well, especially a couple like Richard Byer and like Philip Cummings and Ethan Van Skyver. Like those guys were were like Ethan liked to call himself an un, he was unpersoned because he wasn't getting work and he was being ignored because people just didn't want to deal with him anymore. Right, it's yeah. like like Richard Meyer, like he couldn't get his Kickstarters funded because nobody wanted to deal with them. They didn't. You know, it's like nobody wanted to read them. They were junk. And then suddenly it's like, well, now conservative politics and, and hard right politics are getting this huge resurgence. And now I have an audience because people don't really care about what the product I'm making, but they care about the, the platform I'm adopting. Yeah. You know? and, and that's really, that's okay. really where it came from. And now you get to a point where it's grown enough that you need to expand the audience, right? So now you start to change it. And it's not about, it's not about giving conservatives a voice or it's not about fighting PC culture. Now it's about making good comics. 
And now it's about, you know, it's like crowdsourcing and saving the comics industry. So you start to change the narrative. And then you bring people in who say, like, well, I don't see any of that. I just see fans who care about comics. I see about creators who just want to provide a good product to it. And it's a, it's the gaslighting of, well, I never said that. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah. that, that never had anything to do with it. And that's right. kind of where we are today. So, but what, so what was the breaking point then? Because you pointed to something, some guy named Carlos or something. I, again, I couldn't figure it out. Right. Right, so they so they started not only allow they didn't just um, allow a commissioned uh, variant cover for a Vampirella and Red Sonia, you know, variant for this Cecil comic, um, but then they started actively promoting it on their Twitter and the social media you know platforms. Not only that, then they started promoting other Comicscape um, creators in, in their in their feeds. So it shifted from a oh well, and, you know, we're we're allowing them to commission covers too. Here, everyone go out and support this. And that was really like, well, okay. then you've made a choice, and it's, that's fine. But then I don't have to buy your stuff anymore. Right. Sure. And and I don't have to be quiet about it either. I, I, I don't have to attack anyone. I just say I'm not buying this anymore. I'm dropping it, and this is why. Well, you know, I, I'm you know I'm naive into the fact that I, I just for me I just kind of assume that like again I know Res and I but I just assume because you and I talk comics and we know comics that we're probably politically on the same page do you know what I mean like it just kind of feels like that to me comics is about people that are creative and 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 or this force of nature that wants all types of things to be represented and then uh, you know I, it goes hand in hand to me I mean it, it is it's not it's exclusive of the other so for me that's why it's like I can't imagine some MAGA hat fucking corny cornball dumbass guy going hey man do you have the latest issue of, of SFSX you know, you know what I mean like, or or hey what are those back issues of X-Force I just I can't picture it I know I'm naive to that but uh, so that's why so when I saw that you said that I was like okay I need to find out why because I'll bet you me and this guy are probably on the same page politically so thank you for, for clearing right. it up but at the same time, it's like we can't expect everyone to be on the same page politically, right? Right. And it, it is, and I was definitely even up to a year ago being like, well, no self-respecting comic book fan who sits down and reads comic books could end up being a a hard right conservative. Like, how do you take that from comics? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It's, I think it also goes to the uh, the beauty of the medium that people take from from it what they want. So if you're if you're pre-inclined to that, you're going to ignore maybe a lot of the... You're not going to read Captain America and read it as a, a book about social justice. Yeah. And you're going to look at it as a, a a guy who is standing up for America. America is right, no matter what. And, you know, America first. And you could you could take it however you want. I mean, if you, if you really want... I don't know if you... You probably don't know this, but if you really want to be bummed out, look, take a look at Chuck Dixon. Oh, what the- Mark, like Chuck Dixon lost his mind. Like he, he is—he's not even hard right. He he writes for white nationalists these days. Not not the animator for Warner Brothers. No, Chuck Dixon, like GI Joe. Uh, oh, that uh, yeah, Night, yeah. Nightwing. You know, yeah. the, the, right. Okay. Batman. I mean, Chuck Dixon. You know, prolific comic books. But Got it, okay. these days, you could you could pick up his copy of. Clinton Cash and whatever he's writing for Vox Day under some white nationalist imprint, and you know. God damn, man! Well, I just, I, you know, again, the flag bearer for comics is who? It was always Stan Lee, you know, this lovable, accepting, 
wonderful guy. The height of my professional career was when we had Stan Lee on this very program three years ago. Uh, when uh, Aaron, most most comic conventions don't happen at the end of the year. They're usually, of course, you know, summertime or spring or seasonally. Uh, and one of the most grateful moments of my entire life, and my professional career, was there was a big convention that happened on New Year's Eve here in Dallas. Uh, and I also do like this little DJ thing called DJ Tricky Kid and everything else. And I was performing that night. And I got to run over and actually be with Stan. It was also his birthday. People, you know, you know, he was he's his birthday is on New Year's Eve. And I asked him. I said, well, "Stan, well, what do you want for your for your ninety fourth birthday?" And he said, "A ninety fifth, which is one of the greatest moments of my life." You know, he called his wife. You know, to, to to tell her. You know, so I got to be literally on stage with him and ring in. Uh, the new year that year with him and earlier that day uh, we got together and he did the show uh, together and so uh, you know I tell you that because it just it's like I, I can't imagine anybody that loves comics doesn't worship Stan Lee you know and sure. and doesn't worship what Stan Lee represents and stands for which is very clear what he stands for you know. Uh, so that's why that was just kind of kind of kind of a bummer for me, and and uh, and again, I imagine you're going to tackle all that maybe on your own show. And let's go ahead and plug that real fast. Where can they find Comics Therapy? Sure, uh, just comicstherapy.com. Okay, and and are you planning on doing an episode about this? You know, it's tough because you invite a lot of um, criticism. There's there is a muddling of people now involved. I think in that part of it that maybe don't have. I don't understand the roots or ignore the roots of it. I think there there's plenty of like when you get into those arguments of um, just wanting good comics and you know and and just wanting creators to respect their fans. Like who's going to disagree with that? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, yeah, of course, Every, everyone wants that. You also want creators to be creative. You want them to put out a good product. You want to feel like what you're buying is worthwhile. Yeah, that's not the issue. Yeah, you know, and it's like, and if that's your movement, everyone's part of your movement. You can go home. Yeah, but it, obviously, there's there's more to it than that. For, well, for, so. for sure, but it's just kind of like you know the it's a, you know the idea of like religion and things. It's like I, I would never deny anybody faith, but once you start trying to uh, inhibit on you know my real estate in terms of what I want to believe, then that's when I say right. you know fuck your religion. You know, so and it also well, you know, if you want to talk about religion too, it's like there's money behind it. Yeah, there's right. there's a lot of money behind these Indiegogos and these Kickstarters. Like like Ethan and Scott, the main guy, he made a million dollars off his off his Kickstarter. Did he make a million dollars because he's a super good good artist and he right. revived a, a, a concept he came up with in the nineties? No, he has because he he's catered to a bunch of right wing and all right guys who want to throw money at him in order to prove how how right their ideology is. Yeah. You know, well, it's like. So it's like he, the has, money, right? yeah. he has a he has an investment and an incentive to keep that going. Right. So it's like you, you always have to constantly weigh: Do you want to even talk about this because it just it, it yeah. fuels their fire? It just gives more it just gives yeah. more for them to generate more revenue. Well, I am grateful for the two of you to be some, some like-minded, good people uh, that come from the same uh, backgrounds that, that that know tolerance and acceptance and, and, and probably was what may have draw, drawn them to comics in the first place or what they want to see in perpetuating comics. I also love that you, you all came today. We all came today 
with our game faces. Don't tell me for one second you didn't strategically pick what shirt you were going to wear today because you wanted to represent. Mark, so Raz, what are you wearing there, sir? Look at that. Classic Avengers. Classic. And Aaron? You know, actually, I wish I had more forethought. I mean, this is cool. This is Punk Mambo from Valiant Comics. Well, I—that's I, awesome too, man. You know what's funny is that I did the same thing. I was like, I was wearing—I I was wearing this earlier, and I was like, I was like, oh, I'm gonna change. I was like, well, no, this will do. So this, so I'm kind of proud of this one. This is like a—I was obviously a Reservoir Dogs thing, uh, an appropriation. It's but it's all the leaders from all the '80s cartoons, like Megatron, <laughs> Moomra, of course, Venger, Cobra Commander. I think that's the Tur- Ninja Turtles guy, and of course, obviously Skeletor, all as. <laughs> The Reservoir Dogs people. So this is a gift from my sister. I'm, I'm the nerd, so they know you know anything that's sure. gonna be be cool like that. So speaking of Avengers, that brings us to our, our our next and final giveaway for this series. Here is this is really cool. Um, so if any of y'all, I'm sure you guys saw, of course, um, uh, the latest uh, Avengers films, of course, Age of Ultron and everything else. This is really cool. This is the road to the Age of Age of Ultron. It's the art of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's this sealed, gorgeous, gorgeous book. It has all the art, the steels, or even a couple of original uh, film cells that are in here. This is a very limited edition thing, and we're very grateful uh, that Marvel supplied us with this uh, for uh, this giveaway. So once again, subscribers... Uh, we're going to make it a little difficult for you for this one, okay? So I'm going to put, now I'm going to put you on the hot seat, Rez. Since you're wearing the, the Avengers shirt and you're coming strong with it, is there any trivia question you can think of for our subscribers that will be worthy of this? This thing weighs about four pounds. You see my hands kind of shaking trying to hold it up here. What's a good trivia question that they should have to answer in order to win this sucker? You really did put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I have an idea of what I think you're going to say, but go ahead. This one should be relatively easy um, for anybody that's followed comics. Uh, what year did Action Comics number one come out? And you got to be quick because once this goes out, and then we I know some people are starting <laughs> to type down here. So that means you got to do it instantly. That means you have to be a subscriber. You have to answer it instantly. That way you won't have to go to Wikipedia. So once again, Rez, repeat that question for the listeners. What year did Action Comics, number one, first appearance of Superman, what year did that appear on the stands? And then you will get The Road to the Age of Ultron. This thing is badass. I actually have one for myself, so... Uh, also, uh, we want to tell you make sure uh, to subscribe. Uh, we're on every major platform. Of course, we are on part of the iHeartRadio family. But we uh, ask you if you'd like. We're also on Spotify, Pandora, of course, iTunes, all the major platforms. Just go type in Tricky Kid Radio. It'll come right on up. We're also on Facebook under Tricky Kid Radio Podcast. My Twitter feed is Tricky Kid in the number two. That's Tricky Kid in the number two. And you can subscribe. We want to invite you right now. Uh, Speaking for all you nerds out there, for our the current show that's out right now, we have the great Sam Jones uh, from Flash Gordon. Uh, we're celebrating all things 1980, the very beginning of all, my favorite decade. I turned six in 1980. 
uh, and we start from the beginning, and uh, we talk with Sam Jones all about Flash Gordon, but we get into all everything else. We also have the legendary actor Barry Corbin, who lives right around the corner here from me here. And if that name doesn't stick out immediately to you, he was the sheriff and everything. He was John Travolta's uncle, an urban cowboy. Uh, he was in The Night the Lights Went Out in Georgia, and you may not recognize him, but in the current season of Better Call Saul, if you're watching Better Call Saul, you know the guy Everett Beckett, whatever, he was the one tenant that, that went during the, the Mesa Verde deal, there, he was the one tenant that was the lone holdout. And Kim Wexler goes to his house to try to appease him. That is fucking Barry Corbin, man. He was, remember the general in war games and him and Dabney Coleman are going back and forth and shit. So anyway, so he was the warden in the movie Stir Crazy. And he tells us all these great Richard Pryor stories. It's a great episode. Check it out. Next week, we're going to have Chris France from the Talking Heads, one of my all-time favorite bands. He has a new book out called Remain in Love, of course, which is a playoff of the album from 1980, uh, Remain in Light. So as part of our All Things 1980 series, and, and I'm a massive Talking Heads fan, So I and Rez, I know you are too, so, uh, so make sure you tune in uh, next week for that. So we'll have Chris Friend and check out his book, Remain in Love, because him and Tina Weymouth, the bass player, have been together for 40 plus years. So it's also kind of a bit of a love letter to her. And I was fortunate to get an advanced copy of the book. It's fantastic. Check it out. Check it out. It's awesome. Uh, in uh, and actually in other uh, in Tony's news, you know, because right now I'm actually in production on a documentary on a band from Texas called Kings X, and uh, uh, and our buddy Donnie Blair uh, is going to be participating in that. He's a he's a Kings X guy, so. We, uh, we do a lot of updates about that. I know things have kind of, again, have slowed down, but to our listeners out there that have been asking about the King's X Project, it, it's coming. We're still doing it. It's just um, been kind of slowing down a little bit. Um, a couple more things I wanted to get through through here. I have my list here. Uh, was Okay, so I mentioned about my, my Stan Lee moment. Um, Aaron, Rez, is there anything that's, that speaks out to you or sits out to you where you had this great moment or great interaction with uh, a creator uh, in the realm of comics? I can uh, I can speak to that. Like, um, if you ever get a chance, have a conversation with Howard Chaykin. Okay, cool, cool, yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, I mean, he's worked with everyone, and he will, it's not even so much a conversation, he'll just talk to you for as long as you, as you can stand there for. That's and awesome. He'll never bore you. He's very enter- entertaining. And it's, um, it's good to, it's good, especially when we, you know, like how we were talking about before about weighing the, um, you know, trying to to talk about PC and and look at the past with modern eyes, but also not dilute things or deny things too. Like I think Howard is good at at, at constantly kind of trying to reevaluate that. So it's always it's always interesting talking to him. Is there an example you can give about that? Well, like in any of his recent comics work, like you know. <laughs> Or even old comics work. Like if you look at Howard's history, like like Black Kiss was one of those comics that he wrote to as a as an fu to the um, you know to the like Tipper Gore and like this whole like backlash against you know what what should be homogenized and watered down in culture. And he's he's always kind of looking at that whether it hits or not. You yeah, know, right. it's still interesting attempts. 
and you have to look at the motivation and the person behind it too because I think that has a lot to do with it you know it's that, that thing of like um, creation and creator and are they separate or are they intertwined I think with Howard it's in a lot of it's intertwined awesome Rez um, about seven years ago I uh, I got to put out a comic I co-wrote with Donnie Cates called Buzzkill and um, I was the first Comic Con where I was ever a guest sitting at my own table and um, Neil Adams was at the same wow so I uh, I took a break and took the first issue of Buzzkill and got to go over and I signed it and gave it to Neil Adams. Wow. And he asked me about it, what what's the premise and blah, blah, blah. So I had a little one or two minute chat with the legendary Neil Adams. That's fantastic. So pretty cool. Now, Buzzkill is the thing you were telling me about, Rez. Is it the, the characters like an alcoholic and, and, uh, and fill me uh, in? Yeah. Um, it's uh, a character who gets his powers from basically drinking uh, or doing drugs. Like all of us. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. So um, the premise is it starts out where he's in um, AA because he's been doing this for years. You know, every time he has to go and fight the bad guys, he has to get really drunk or whatever and... Um, it's taken a toll on him, so he um, he goes to an AA meeting, and uh, all his arch enemies find out about it, and they gang up on him right at that moment when he's powerless. Oh, okay. Is there any more coming from that? Are you still doing that? Uh, no, it was just a four-issue um, miniseries that kind of... It said everything that we wanted to say. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, Kitty. <laughs> well, I wanted to get, be part of the act. Yeah, but is there is there anything that you'd like to plug about that, or anything else that you've got coming down the pike there? You'd like to, or uh, your favorite comic book store? You'd like to mention anything like that? Um, I go every week to Zeus Comics in Dallas. Oh, that's right. Um, Toadies, um, even though the 25th anniversary of Rubberneck has already passed, uh, we're going to be releasing a 25th anniversary um, vinyl record. Oh, cool. Uh, coming up. And then, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this yet or not, but um, the very first Toadies uh, release with a cassette called Dig a Hole and I Hope You Die, two-song cassette single. Um, we've remixed and remastered that, and it's going to come out on vinyl, a 12-inch uh, color-etched uh, vinyl record. That is fantastic. In the near future. That is awesome. You were talking about first comics. Like My first, I guess, the first time I ever heard you guys was that... Uh, Lisa was working at a, and Todd were working at a sound warehouse. You remember my buddy? You remember my buddy Keith Radens, Rez? He was in a band called called uh, Anorexic Cafe back in the early '90s. The whole Mad Hatters yeah. thing, and yeah. Keith worked there. And so I would come in to see Keith, 
And that's when I met Todd and Lisa, and they had that cassette of it was like it was just two songs. I dig a holes on. We had the legs that were walking, right? Like the cover. Uh, that that was Velvet. Oh, okay, it's Velvet. Okay, I'm I'm mixing them up too there. Yeah, dig a hole. It was actually recorded and released before I joined the band. Right, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm really. That's exciting. Because I remember going into that store, like I said, I remember Lisa giving it to me. She's like, well, I'm in, we're in a band. Check this out. And, and I, remember, I remember listening to that uh, way back in the day. So that, that's kind of a cool thing that it's given people to kind of a chance to hear the roots there. I was hoping, uh, and, and if we have to close on this, I was hoping, something I was reminded of, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to ask him this, and I think it would be great for the listeners. And Aaron, you're in you're in for a treat here. Um, and so are our listeners. Okay, so me and my wife are watching something, and I don't want to give it away yet, because you'll see where I'm going with it just yet. But um, let me set this up for you, and we'll let you take it over, okay, Rez? So uh, let me take you back. This actually might not be the, the most, the greatest year you would like to remember. Maybe not the greatest memory, but... Uh, it was around like 2001, like 9-11 had just happened. Um, I think Lisa had just left the band. You guys were kind of in between bass players. I think Mark from Baboon was kind of doing some final shows for you guys or something. Baboon, again, a great, great band from, from Denton, Dallas, Fort Worth area. Uh, anyway, I just happened to be in Lubbock on a completely different uh, uh, capacity. And you guys invited me to the show, and I went. I went to the show, and it was apparently supposed to be like at that time the final Toadies show. And uh, and but you and Todd and everybody had kind of tipped me off. This y'all were gonna do this thing. This is like a Saturday night. Y'all were gonna do this thing. I think on Monday, back in Dallas. I was like, well, hey, you know, maybe y'all should wrap it up in you know in Fort Worth or Dallas. Like, why love it, right? And y'all were doing this thing on a Monday night of all nights at Trees. And for our listeners out there, I need to explain that Trees is a small place, but it's kind of like the Whiskey-A-Go-Go of, of Dallas, Texas. It has a lot of prestige. If you've ever seen the video of Kurt Cobain getting in a fight with this bouncer, this legend guy named Turner Van Blarkham here in Dallas, this is that place. It um, has actual trees inside of it. The backstage has like a tree house. It's a very unique place. And so y'all were going to do this thing that Monday where it was kind of like, you know, we're not playing, but it's like, come say goodbye to the toadies and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and I remember it was a really awful, shitty night for weather. Like, I mean, it was like a, this torrential downpour. I can remember driving home that night thinking, man, fuck, man, like the toadies are over. And I might be as well because I might think I'm gonna gonna get the fuck home. I'm not I'm not kidding. Or you're seeing like cars pulled over, and it was. I tell you that that because of that, and it being a Monday night, this place holds about 500 people. There was nobody there. There was like maybe like maybe I don't know. I don't want to uh, 50 75 people. And now maybe because there was so little people there, they may have figured it out that. The band it was about to play wasn't going to be just some local cover band. It was actually going to be the Toadies. Uh, the place has a curtain, and the curtain opens. Now, even if they had figured it out that you guys were going to play, nobody, not even me, uh, knew that this was going to happen. So the curtain opens. 
there's the four people in the toadies on stage, uh, but you're also joined by Adam Sandler toady Rob Schneider. What the fuck? Help me here. What was that, and how did that come about? Um, it was really weird. I, I um, just a few minutes before we were supposed to go on, um, somebody from the club came in to the backstage area and said, "Hey, uh, Rob Schneider is here, and he's wondering if he can introduce you." Um, we're like, "What? What the hell is he doing here?" But yeah, sure. Uh, I think that he was just like in town. I don't know if he was working on a movie or doing a stand-up gig. Um, I honestly don't know if he even knew who the toadies were. He was just walking by and, hey, there's something going on at this club. Sorry, the cat's... uh... Not at all. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, So, yeah. um, So, like, just a few minutes before we were supposed to play, like, he just came out there and... uh, I remember him because nine eleven had just it had just happened, happened, yeah, like like a week or so before that, yeah. I mean, he made some joke about uh, I's never been laden. <laughs> <laughs> that's the one thing I remember about meeting Rob Schneider that night. Well, one thing that's also might be hard to, to forget was wasn't he wearing like a like a light up suit or, or or he was wearing something very rhinestone cowboyish. He wasn't in jeans and t-shirt. Do you remember remember this? I, I just vaguely, I don't know. I mean, I was... I don't know if it was the lights, but do you remember the Robert Redford movie, Electric Cowboy? It, had, it was like, it looked like that, or just maybe the lights made it seem like that. But that I was... Might be right, yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, and I, and so the other day, so I'm not I'm not really an Adam Sandler person, but he has this new stand up that people have been talking about by kind of saying like, hey, even if you're not an Adam Sandler person, check this out, and it's called 100% Fresh, and we watched it, and I can endorse it. It's fantastic if you haven't already seen it. Uh, it's very interesting. And again, I I am not an Adam Sandler person, and that's no disrespect to him. I'm just I'm not a Will Ferrell person either. I I wish him the best. It's just not my 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 bag. Um. But I, I was so not only blown away by how funny this was, but I also had forgot about, you know, his best friend is Rob Schneider, and he always, and I, you know, he's the Rob Schneider toady, right? He always finds a, a way to get him into one of his films. And even in the stand-up thing, I don't want to give it away how, how that happens, but, uh, and I was like, you know what? Because all week long, I've been anticipating this and thinking about something that might be also, you know, things that I, you know, because I already know all this stuff because, again, you know, Rez and I have known each other for a long time. But I'm thinking, like, what could I ask that I may or may not already know that the listeners definitely don't know, right? And so when I saw Rob Stunner, I was like, that's it. I'm going to ask Rez about that because I, I never got, I never thought to ask you about that or we never had a conversation about it. We were as mystified by the whole situation as everybody in the audience. <laughs> Look, there's Rob Schneider, and he wants to introduce us at our very last show. Okay. <laughs> but just in the in the dynamic of the Toadies, and you know, you guys have you know been a big part of my life since I was you know eighteen. Uh, it's just it's for, it's part of the course almost, isn't it? Because it's it's such a weird. You guys are such a weird thing, man. Like, 
We always seem to be in a weird place at the right time. I totally. There's probably a hundred other examples we could get into. Um, gentlemen, I thank you both so much. Uh, Aaron, I wanted to uh, to end with you again or, or to wrap with you for a second, and then we'll get back to Rez here and all together. Anything that 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 you're excited about? We got about the producers giving me the, the, the seven minute mark here. So, uh, very quickly, what can we plug again? Comics Therapy is the podcast. Uh, is there and, and the, we know your Twitter feed. I, I want you to yep. keep seeing all the great one dollar. I want to see the hundred dollar stuff. I want to see the thousand dollar stuff. But is there any comic? I'll try to show it all. <laughs> is there any comic right now that you're super excited about that's happening that we should know about? Uh, like current stuff, jeez. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's weird too because like the you know everything got thrown into turmoil in the last few months, so right. things are kind of sporadically and finally coming back together. There was a slew of good um, image image stuff that came out, like you know, Bliss just came out this week. The Chew just started up again. Oh wow, cool! I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, so there's a bunch of good. Like I'm, I haven't even gone through my stack for. I, mean, I picked everything up, but I haven't. And, you know, new issue of the Goon just came out. Nice. These uh, Turtles Urban Legends have been great because they've been reprinting like the Image series now recently. You can't go wrong with Usagi. Oh the yeah, issue of course. Usagi came out. Yeah. Low is finally again finally getting the last issue of that. There's, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of good Image and indie stuff that you can't really go wrong with if you're even if you're burnt out with Marvel and DC. For sure, Res. Um, I guess I'll mention this one that I've been preaching about for a while. Uh, it's called Ginseng Roots. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, it's um, it's not a superhero comic at all. Um, it's just um, uh, help me out with the uh, artist, writer's it's name. Craig Thompson. Yeah, Craig Thompson. Who, you can uh, order it from uh, Uncivilized Books. Uh, and uh, he's written other books like Blankets and um, Habibi, where he kind of tells about events in his own life. And in this one, he's talking about uh, when he was a kid um, working on a ginseng farm in Wisconsin. And he kind of um, he intertwines this story of his childhood with his modern day self going back to his hometown and the history of ginseng and why it's grown in Wisconsin. And it's just really fascinating. Um, it's a little bit smaller than a regular comic book. Like a, it's like pamphlet size. Um, it's black and white and red. Uh, even the staples are red colored, which I don't know, something about that seemed really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's different um, than anything else on the stands, and it's, it's really cool and interesting. That is awesome. That is awesome, man. Well, uh, we also have some more comic guests coming up here. Like I said, I mentioned about what Larry Hama is doing. You know, he's, you know, you, you don't have to think about, oh man, back in the day. No, Larry Hama is writing GI Joe comics right now. These great covers uh, with, uh, with with Jamie Sullivan. Uh, Larry's been on the show about three different times. One of my prized possessions is again that's me and Larry and my son Miles. 
I don't know if there's a reflection there, but uh, we're going to have him back on along with Amy Chu. They're doing something incredibly cool. I've been trying to get Daryl McDaniel from Run DMC on this show forever, and it's finally going down. Uh, it's like my worlds are colliding. It's like my G.I. Joe thing and my hip-hop thing. Uh, they're all going to be working together on a new comic book. Uh, again, Larry Hama, the great Daryl McDaniel, you know, DMC, man, and, of course, Amy Chu, and all Dynamite shenanigans aside uh the betty and veronica meet red sonia and vampirella is my fucking jam right now i love it love it love it so gentlemen once again i thank you both so much like i said Rez, so great to see you my friend it's been way too long we've been talking about doing this forever and it's finally got a chance to do it uh and aaron uh, and again and thank you for bringing aaron to us rez uh, all our <laughs> listeners out there he is uh, you're the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, look for, Thanks for having me on. Of course, Aaron. And look for Comics Therapy. Look for those new that new Toadies releases. Hopefully we'll get to see you live again very, very soon. Uh, and we'll have you back on. I think, Aaron, you're also a beer guy. I'm also a home <laughs> brewer. Uh, and we've got a whole thing coming up. And so hopefully we'll actually be able to all sit and share a beer together very, 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 very soon and do this in person soon. So... Is that, is that is that a local is that community? Uh, Lakewood Brewing. Oh, Lakewood Brewing. They have a great IPA. I was gonna give a shout out to our uh, our dudes at Community who make a great beer called uh, Mosaic. Who right now have the Super Mosaic with a big comic book Superman chest uh, thing that says <laughs> Super Mo on it, and it's eleven point four ABV. So. It's it's a it's a big boy beer there for sure. But um, again, gentlemen, thank you guys so much. Like I said, I'll be sending you guys all the information about how to spread this far and wide. Uh, and let's do it again, man. We'll we'll pick a different topic and we'll do it again soon. All right. Sounds good. Cool. Cheers, Great. guys. Thank y'all. We'll see you soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 This is Eva Lovia, and you're listening to Tricky Kid Radio with Roy Turner. All right, hey, hey, once again, want to thank uh, both my guests, my man Rez from the Toadies. Uh, always great chatting with that dude, man. He's so much fun, uh, and it's so glad that we finally did it, man. We finally nerded out together uh, publicly uh, for all to enjoy. Uh, and great, man, great having Aaron Myers. Check out Comics Therapy. It's a great podcast. That dude's Twitter stream is like porn if you're, uh, if you're a... Um, a comic geek like me and, and Rez are. Uh, thank you guys so much. Look for that new uh, Toadies music. Again, they are also are celebrating the 25th anniversary of 1994's Rubberneck. There's a great 180-gram um, vinyl release that's going to be coming out with uh, a downloadable card. They'll have a bunch of unreleased stuff. So that's very, very exciting. Um, I can't believe it's been 25 years, man. I was there in August of 94. Uh, wasn't even of legal drinking age yet there at Trees that night that they released it. I remember I got the this little special little invitation and all that. So wow. So anyway, so yeah, so it's it's been it's been such a great time to to been a part of, of, of the Toadies ride since pretty much the beginning. So uh, anyway, uh, again, make sure you're checking out that 1980 episode. I worked so freaking hard on it. Uh, and tune in next week. We're gonna have Chris France, man. Chris France. Am I saying it right? I hope I am. Uh, from the Talking Heads, discussing his newest his new book, Remain in Love. We're going to be celebrating uh, the Talking Heads album, Remain in Light, for its 40th anniversary. Again, it's part of our All Things 1980 series. Once again, I am Roy Turner. Thanks again to our sponsors and to our guests, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.